Welcome to The People Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. What is up? Welcome to The People Show, a show for the people, by the people. Randeep Janda, joined by Israel Fair and Josh Elliott Wolf, producing the show here. Join in on the conversation, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. What's going on, Izzy? Nice to have you back for a second straight day. You didn't, you didn't flee. No. Not like Bick. <laughs> I'm the, back. Slander, the slander has to start early. Come on, he's we not do. here. We do. Yeah, it, it, that's a recurring theme. That that's really the reason I'm back. Uh, really, you had the option of working with Vic. You said no. I want to. I want to come in when you're not here, so I can absolutely. I can, I can shoot some praise <laughs> towards him. Uh, we got a, a jam-packed show today. Four hours of awesome content. Talking baseball with Adnan Verk of the MLB Network in hour one. Talking fantasy football with James Coe of DirecTV in hour two. James is always, first of all, a great follow, good conversation with him anytime we've had him on the show. So if you're prepping for your fantasy draft, maybe you got a keeper deadline coming up like I do, James is going to drop some knowledge in hour two of the show. we got Chris Faber from Canucks Army talking some Canucks prospects as well. Turf trivia for your chance to win seas tickets. Don't at me for your chance to win Lions tickets. And yes, we're giving away entry to uh, the People Show Fantasy Football League as well. And special today, and I'll explain why a little bit later on in the show, we got a Confession Friday on a Tuesday. That's big. It's big. This is the final people show for the week. Yep. We're going to have some programming, you know, a little different throughout the week here. You're going to be back on Friday with Josh. With Josh, yeah. That's right. Sportsnet today. Josh is going to have to carry me on Friday. We're going to be on air together. That's right. You are. But this will be the final people show of the week. So we got to bring the confession Friday on a Tuesday. And the reason, the reason we're doing this, we're inspired. We're inspired by the clip that has gone viral. Yeah. Hot dog, straw guy. Just bizarre. Just bizarre. But so, so good for launching off a confession Friday. If you got a food confession, 650, 650, tag them with CF. If you got any confession heading into the, you know, the week, I guess more than anything, Hit us up with your confessions. If they're food-related, even better. And uh, we got a we got a fun show in store, so keep that conversation going in the text inbox, 650-650. Wanted to chat some Canucks starting off here, though. And Izzy, we talked a lot about the Canucks yesterday of where they stack up in the division. Mm-hmm. Center groups, players, what they have to prove. We didn't really think too far down the lineup, though. No. And looking at this roster, looking at some of the players, we can always talk about, hey, the big money guys, they got to prove their worth. The big money guys have to to earn their contracts. Let's think a little bit lower down the roster, though. Is there or are there players on this roster that are facing immense pressure further down the lineup, kind of a make or break season for them? Are there names that right off the bat, you're saying, all right, this is a big year for this player because I don't know if they can last A in the NHL or on the team. The biggest one, and this is a carryover from last year, has to be Niels Hoaglander. Coming off that rookie year where people were so impressed by the work that he did. 
and that he was the guy that could play on different lines and complement different players. Last year was a rough year for him. In the, the, not This is by no means saying that his NHL career is over or his Canucks career is over, but with a new management team in place, they are, and this is a consistent message from the beginning with Jim Rutherford and Patrick Galvin, that they are going to evaluate the players on the roster and make a decision on whether or not they're going to stick with these guys or if they're going to continue that development. And with Hoaglander, I think there's still some people out there that are, are fans of his that would like to see him succeed or that believe that he can be, I think, at the, at the, the, the floor, a, a top nine guy and potentially a top six guy. But the Canucks went out in the offseason. They brought in a couple of players, maybe one that will show up on this list later, yep. that's going to have a bigger chance to be top nine and certainly top six. Hoaglander's, we did a show last week, and we're looking at it and going, he's probably starting on the fourth line. Does he have the potential to push himself up the lineup? I think so. But if he doesn't, then you're certainly looking at more of that break equation from the, the make and break question. Two years ago, even last year, there was a red carpet for Niels Hoaglander. You're the second-round pick of the organization. Come on down. You can feature prominently right off the bat. He was in the top six in his first year. I know because I had to do the one-chip challenge because I said he was not going to be in the top six. He starts off the season. So <laughs> I felt the pain, literally. Year two, still starting off the year, gets that red carpet treatment. Gets an opportunity with a team that's a little bit deeper on the wings. But as the season went on, we know they weren't that deep. This year, rather than a red carpet, it feels like they're letting through the side entrance. Like, hey, let's not make a big deal about this. But yeah, you're still on the team, but hush, hush. He's not getting that royal treatment. On Niels Hoaglander, it's definitely a make-or-break season for him. He's got to figure out where he fits in this game of Tetris of the Canucks' wings. Besser, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Podkolzin, Garland, Pedersen, potentially, if he plays on the wing. If not, Tanner Pearson as well. Those are the, the wingers on this team. You can say whatever you want about Pod Colson in terms of not having that experience, but one thing he does have is that trajectory is sky high. Sky high. All the other players I mentioned, including Elias Patterson, they got experience. They were NHL players with a bullet. You can think whatever you want about Tanner Pearson, but he's hung around this league long enough, and last year, in parts, was the Canucks' most consistent player. <laughs> yeah. So with Niels Hoaglander, like a fourth-line role, I don't really see it. I don't think he's that player at this point in time. You get, in a fourth-line role, a little bit of trust is needed. Especially if you're playing on a checking you know, line with a Curtis Lazar. Right. I don't think Niels Hoaglander is that guy. Tanner Pearson definitely is. He's got to be like a third-line player. Probably acts in terms of ice time. Maybe like a third or fourth line in terms of, you know, you're not going to get the most ice time, but you're going to get favorable matchups. Can you do your job in order to get those points? Something that Bruce Boudreau said last year. Hey, mm -hmm. I don't expect you to be the perfect player, but if you're going to make mistakes, if you're going to have some questions defensively, give me points. Yeah, and he's been consistent with that throughout his coaching career. Absolutely. Now, Niels Hoaglander, you're right. That could be the floor. The ceiling, top six, it, it's potential. It's potentially there. But the competition is now sky high. So make or break season for him, big time, big time. Because you have to show an organization that drafted you, but a different management team drafted mm -hmm. These guys don't believe in you the same way that a Travis Green maybe did or a Jim Benning did. This is a different regime, and you have to prove your worth to these guys. Otherwise, you're out of town. 
Definitely. And uh, it, it feels maybe extreme, but the way that the end of that season played out for Niels Hoaglander has put him in that position. And this is a team that, whether or not you agree with it, they're, they're trying to be competitive. And that's why you go and sign Ilya Mikheyev in free agency or Kuzmenko and bring him in on a, on a one-year deal to take, that, take those shots in the top nine or the top six. Can you play with Elias Pettersson consistently? Can you play with JT Miller consistently and produce? And with Hoaglander, we saw him at times with Pettersson and the production wasn't really there, even for all the, all the other parts of his game that got people excited. I mean, when, when he was drafted, and uh, Pud Colson also obviously in the same draft. The idea was, look, Pud Colson's got a, a pretty high ceiling. Uh, he can be a, a really good player in a top six and someone that can play with a lot of different guys and uh, brings a little different dynamic. But the thought was, Hoaglander's pretty close to being NHL ready and that he's going to jump into a lineup and he's going to be able to be competitive. In the first year, he was on that track. Yeah. Sophomore slump, call it whatever, it certainly wasn't there last year. And now the opportunities have dried up. I remember a conversation that we had with Rogla head coach at that point, Cam Abbott, when Hoaglander was making the jump to the NHL. Mm-hmm. And we talked to Abbott, and then we saw Hoaglander playing at training camp and the buzz that was around this guy. But Abbott did specify, hey, there's certain elements of his game that he's got to figure out if he wants to be a consistent player. And right. year one, it was kind of maybe like, the coach was so wrong in Sweden. Uh, look at this guy. He's He can do no wrong. Yeah. In the end, Cam Abbott was right. We've seen mm-hmm. those cracks in his game, the trust element, the defensive commitment, uh, the thought process, you know, reading the play. There have been those issues. Now, this is on Niels Hoaglander to win back that trust from Bruce Boudreaux because, you know, we saw the criticism. There's plenty to criticize in his game last year. He wasn't consistent. But we also heard the criticism from Bruce Boudreaux. How does this young player come back and end up trying to re, you know, get that trust back, regain that trust? Uh, we got this one from Marcus and Gibsons. Hoaglander in the fourth line isn't a big deal to me. It's added depth to this roster and that he can become that spark plug uh, for offense at the bottom of the lineup. Yes, that's the hope. That's the hope, right? Where you've got a player with speed on the wings. Let's just take that Lazar, Pearson, Hoaglander line as one that potentially could happen. Obviously, Dakota Joshua is going to feature at some point as well. He adds another another element. But let's just say, if the Canucks look like this, and they're stacked at the wing position, and you opt for Pedersen to play on the wing rather than the center to start off the season, you know, somebody on that fourth line does have to bring the speed. And Curtis Lazar does to a certain extent, but probably having a little speed on the wing doesn't hurt either. But I still go back to that defensive commitment. The thought process of processing the game, thinking the game, you're still going to need that in the fourth line. It's not like you can't you can't bring that in the fourth line. So I like that in theory. They're snarled in those Hoaglanders game when he's playing his game. Yeah. But can he bring it consistently enough? Yeah, it's a big question. And it wasn't there last year. And with a coach who actually gives young players an opportunity to play their way out of it, right? Bruce Boudreaux stands out that way with what you said, Randy. Like, okay, you're going to make some mistakes. Put up points. Push push the play forward. And what we saw with Hoaglander last year was often a um, mistake to leads to total confusion and his game would, would break down and eventually was you know, not in the lineup. Yeah. 
Uh, there's another player I want to add to this conversation as well. Uh, keep your text coming in, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Jason Dickinson. And a lot of people might be saying, wait, wait this guy's a vet. Why would you, why would you, why would it be a make or break season for him? Last year was not good. Last year was terrible. And even though some people, not going to name names, are okay with the lack of offense because he doesn't give up anything, Vic, I'm looking at you. <laughs> the, with the role that you need him to play this year, with the role that you, with the quality that you have in your lineup now, the depth, the option of going three strong centers down the middle, JT, Elias, and Bo, and now you've got your right shot center in Curtis Lazar. You've got depth there. Jason Dickinson has to show something either at the wing position or at the center position. I, I don't really have belief in him at the center position based on the fact that we what we saw last year. Mm-hmm. But this is a, a bit of a make-or-break season for him as well. At the age of 27, he had a terrible year, and he admitted that last year. He did. He, he was did. very hard on himself. Very honest, and I appreciate that about the player. But I think this is a key moment in his career where you're saying, all right, what are you? In Dallas, were you a product of that system, or is there a player there that can translate to other teams? Yeah, and we've seen it. We've seen guys, veteran guys, as you mentioned, step up and make good after a bad year. But that that's the challenge in front of him. And some of the opportunities have dried up for him as well. So those are two guys going into camp that people will look at as, are they luxury? Can they actually bring something tangible here? Or is the team better off trying to move them and, and see if they can strengthen in other ways? Those are our two suggestions. Izzy came with Niels Hoaglander. For me, it's Jason Dickinson. You come with your thoughts, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Make or break seasons. Who on the Canucks is facing that this year? Coming up next on the People's Show, we got Adnan Verk, our guy. We're going to talk to him about baseball, but also, has he tried the Tim Hortons pizza? He's in T.O. right now. We're going to find that out next. This is the People's Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. Welcome back to the People Show. Randy Janda, Israel Fair, got you covered on a Tuesday. More news in the NHL today. Not not major news, but if you're looking for that JT Miller connection, maybe. Paul Stastny. Paul Stastny going to Carolina. So, team that was looking for a center, they end up going for the value with the veteran, one and a half million. So, if you had hopes, or if you thought, maybe your conspiracy theory was that JT is going to go to Carolina because they got cap space and Max Pacioretty and yada, yada, yada. Not happening. They went for the veteran instead. So you can scratch another team off the list. Maybe there will be some sort of clarity come training camp or as the season starts, but we'll keep an eye on that. It is the People Show, Randeep and Izzy with you. We're going to be joined by Adnan Verk here in a couple of minutes. MLB Network, Cinephile Podcast, and... The Blue Jays do start a series against the Red Sox tonight. You can listen to that here on Sportsnet 650 right after our show. Uh, Interesting time for both of these teams, right? Blue Jays do do what they need to do. They win the series against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And you're feeling better about the situation if you're a Blue Jays fan. The Red Sox, and I'm, I'm curious to get Adnan's thoughts on this as well. Like, where are they headed? Where is this team going beyond this year? Because there's a reputation of always being elite, always being in the conversation versus now, are they going to retain talent? Are they going to trade guys? Are they going to let them walk? Like the Red Sox are in a very, feels like precarious condition or 
situation based on the fact that, you know, there's some real uncertainty in that division and their place within it. Well, they made a bet, right, when they, they trade Mookie Betts, which was not well received. I see what you did there. <laughs> that was that was not on purpose. <laughs> but they thought, okay, we're going to get some, you know, two or three assets back for this guy, and we're going to still try to be competitive because we have Devers and we have Bogarts. And really since then, yeah, there hasn't been, you know, Verdugo's a nice player. He's not Mookie Betts. And they've, Chris Sale's been injured. Like, they thought Chris Sale was going to come back this year. Now he's out for the season. He's a guy that's still under contract for a few more years and has been early in his tenure with the Red Sox was great. The last couple of years, because he hasn't really been pitching, yep. that guy's supposed to be your ace. All of a sudden, you know, yeah, Bogarts is still a really good player. Devers is a really good player. They've got some other interest, interesting pieces around that team, but with what the Yankees have, and that's what the assumption that Aaron Judge stays, and what the Blue Jays have with their young core uh, and, and certainly, look, Baltimore has been more exciting this year. And Tampa, always there. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, really is that team that, despite not having a big payroll, stays competitive. The Red Sox are facing a bit of a crossroads. All right, to get more on that and everything, really, to to get our thoughts on a lot of things. Uh, Adnan Verk now joins us, MLB Network Cinephile Podcast. Adnan, how's it going? Landeep, Israel, a pleasure. Tuesday, a little different for us. I like it. Earlier in the week, no shows. Rest of the week, big news tonight, Randeep. You know. You have to take advantage of the little things in life. Okay. I get a media pass from Major League Baseball to go to any game all year. Of course, I never use it because if I'm not working, I have four kids, I'm busy. But I said, you know what, tonight I'm doing it. So I'm going to go watch your Yankees tonight. Subway Series. I haven't been to a Subway Series since 2000. Me awesome. and your boy Cabby went to Game <laughs> 3 of the World Series. We saw Benny Agbayani hit the game-winning hit, and Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon were two rows in front of us, and Tim Robbins was high-fiving us. It was classic. We love dead man walking. I don't expect a celebrity encounter tonight unless you count Tom Berducci or John Heyman or the media people I'll be sitting with. But, yeah, I can't wait. Yankees met tonight. I wanted to go see DeGrom, but, of course, Buck Walter pushed him a couple days, which is a smart move by Buck. Don't want to push him. So Frankie Montas, Taiwan Walker, a few hours from now for me. Very nice. So I remember a couple of years back, I went. I was at Yankee Stadium. It was actually Mets versus Yankees. There was a rain out. There was a rain delay, and you were working that game. And I was – I was down below getting beers and, you know, getting inebriated while you were working, if, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I remember texting you. So there you go. You're actually going as a to watch the game rather than really, really work, be working it this year. Correct. You okay. use the excuse that I'm there scouting. But, of course, I'm not. I'm literally just going to be sitting there uh, eating a hot dog and enjoying the game. But that's hilarious. I forgot that happened a couple of years ago. That's right. Uh, okay, so I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I saw that you were in Toronto up until, I'm assuming, yesterday. Now, yeah. Tim Hortons came out with a pizza, and it's only available wow. in the GTA. Did you do it? Did you did you purchase it? So first off, here's what I do, because there's there's too many people that I don't want to see when I'm back home. So I don't actually tweet out pictures and stuff until after I'm back. Smart <laughs> that smart. is a heady play. Yeah, it is a heady play. So I drove home Saturday, and I was at home as a 10 p.m. Saturday. But yesterday, you are correct, I tweeted, hey – downtown Toronto, so people think I'm back. So when I get these DMs from people I don't really like, who are like, oh, I didn't know you are back at the we're going to get a drink. I'm like, oh, I'd love to. I, <laughs> and yet, miraculously, I was on MLB Network in Sakakis yesterday. So it's a, very, it's a very smart move by me. Anyways, I did see your tweet about the pizza, and I saw you tweeted, McDonald's, your move next. I did not have the Tim Hortons pizza, but I'll tell you, it's fascinating. I have never been a coffee drinker, which when people hear me speak, go, that's impossible. You're way too over-caffeinated, way too hyper, et cetera. The only thing I will have once in a while is a Pepsi, only with pizza, because you know, I feel that goes down good. 
Having said that, after leaving Canada, so think about this, I never had Tim Hortons as far as a drink. Of course, I love the Timbits, Honey Dip all day. But only after leaving Canada in 2010, my cousin goes, you, you would love the French vanilla. I said, really? He goes, yeah, because you love sugar. You love Pepsi. So he's like, the French vanilla is basically sugar, and it's like a little bit of coffee. And I'm hooked. So every time I go back to Canada, I get the French vanilla. I don't, you guys can look this up. I don't, I don't, I'm not smart enough. I don't know if it's a frappuccino, a cappuccino, a mochaccino, what the hell it is. I think it's probably a frappuccino. I feel like that's more yeah. sweeter than anything. But regardless, I always get the French vanilla with a few honey dip donuts. I got that twice this week. It was great. But I did not see any Tim Hortons pizza in the GTA. There should have been a sign for it or something advertising. I'm shocked. I would have tried it. Just at least try it. You're seeing the Yankees tonight against the Mets over the weekend. Uh, they faced the Jays. And uh, look, the, the Yankees are in a bit of a tough spot. Uh, I know they won last night against the Mets. And that, that surely put a smile on the face of Yankee fans. But I think it's going to take more than that. And the expectations for this team, at least the way they played at the in the first half of the season, was was World Series. Um, what, where are the Yankees at right now? I mean, there's the whole Garrett Cole, Alec Manoa thing that played out over the weekend. They, they seem to. Uh, Aaron Boone's trying to, to fire the, the team up as well. What is the trajectory for this team toward the end of the year? It's one of the reasons, Israel, that I'm happiest where I live because baseball is my favorite sport. And I think if you are a baseball fan, there's no better place than here. Maybe Boston, maybe St. Louis. You know, I lived in central Connecticut for a long time, so I was two hours from Boston, two hours from New York, which is a great place to be. But there's something special about being here because the passion of the fan base runs deep. And particularly right now, the Yankees and the Mets are both first-place teams. And yet, as you mentioned, there's a lot of consternation and agitation on the Yankees right now, which, you know, on its bare level, I totally understand that they have been terrible in the month of August. Um, you know, there's question marks with the rotation. Montgomery, as uh, Randy knows, is a Yankee fan, looks like Cy Young. He's been incredible. <laughs> the Cardinals just fixed a shutout. Bader hasn't even suited up yet for the Yankees in a move, which I understood Cashman's thought. He, Jordan Montgomery is not going to be a top-three starter for the Yankees. While I'm dealing for a guy, Harris Bader, who's going to be a defensive specialist, it could be important. And you could see a script where Game 6, ALCS, Harrison Bader in the seventh inning, Rob Jordan Alvarez, and all of a sudden Cashman looks like a genius of the move. But right now it looks like it was a terrible trade. Gallo, obviously, the addition by subtraction, but the, nobody's really stepped up yet. Hicks is a total bust. Connor Falef is all defense. Trevino's cooled off. Rizzo's cooled off. They missed Stanton. Judge is the only hitter. Donaldson has a sub-700 OPS. For comparison's sake, like a 720 OPS is league average. It's 688. Like that's terrible. Donaldson's like a he's like a 210 hitter with 18 home runs. It's awful. So very quickly, this Yankees offense, which was a juggernaut, looks ordinary. Their bullpen, which has real strength for them in the first half. Michael King gets hurt. Chad Green gets hurt. Well, Chapman gets hurt. Chapman comes back and looks average. Clay Holmes, who was unstoppable, looks terrible in the second half. He's hurt, and you go, the sky is falling. Here's the good news for the Yankees. As you mentioned, that win Sunday, which I watched, it felt like October baseball. Like It felt critical for Yankees fans to get that win and avoid a four-game sweep against the Blue Jays. Last night, they beat Scherzer. Again, that felt like a huge win. You're at home, you beat Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And by the way, Judge went deep off him. If you like baseball, you love matchups like that, Judge goes deep off of Scherzer. And now, if they beat the Mets tonight, all of a sudden you're on a three-game winning streak. And you've got an eight-game lead over the Rays, eight-and-a-half over the Jays. You take a deep breath and go, all right, August was bad. Guess what, boys? We're one week away from September, and one month after that, it's playoff time. So I'll never forget 2000 World Series, as I mentioned, the Subway Series, which I went to. And you can look it up. In September, the Yankees were sub-500. Like, they were a bad team in September. Everyone said, oh, my God, they're done. And then they went and beat the Mets in the World Series. So a team can have a downfall like this, but they're getting healthy at the right time. Stanton's critical for this team. Missed 25 games, the Achilles injury. He's back Thursday. 
Holmes, he's back Monday. Let's hope he gets right. And also this Yankee team could get back to where they're being. But you mentioned Aaron Boone, my buddy. Of course, we worked together five years in the ESPN baseball tonight. I've never seen Booney that upset. I mean, I, I've worked in, like I said, five years. I, I've worked in, we travel together. I, he's a very mellow guy. For him to get that kind of emotion, and it was very calculated, by the way. I, I think he was angry, and he's trying to fire up his team. And so far, since he stomped that, uh, that press conference <laughs> and got the coffee mug to fly, they've won two straight games. So, good stuff from Booney. Yeah, that was kind of like him and uh, him playing a role. Like, remember Michael in uh, Godfather 1, basically, kind of blows up on K there in the, in the, in the was it 2, actually, when... Izzy, you know that. Remember when, when Michael Corleone basically she's asking him about the family business, and he goes from zero to hundred real quick. Yeah, it felt like Booney was yeah. like, "Do you think that was?" Do not ask me about my affairs. Like, that's yeah. the one. That's the line. <laughs> do you think? Do you think that was Boone essentially going? Um, I got to show the team something, or is that was that authentic angry Boone though? Knowing Booney as well as I do, I think it was authentic, angry Boone. Because this is the thing. If, if you know him, he's, he's a very laid-back guy, Mel. He's very funny. Like, whenever I've known him, he does these incredible impressions of everybody he meets, and he's super smart. But deep beneath that is a super competitive guy. And our man, Dan Schulman, who for many years called the World Series better than Boone on ESPN Radio, and they would do Sunday Night Baseball together. Schulman tells a story of once being in a bar with Booney watching USC, which is his alma mater. And he goes, you don't understand, like his intensity and focus and concentration was out of his mind, how, how riveted he was what was happening. So I think beneath the surface of a chill guy is somebody who's very intense and super competitive and wants to win. And uh, I love his confidence. The other day, Michael Kay asked him, the voice of the Yankees, did you hear the fire boon chance? And he said, absolutely, I did. And guess what? I stood up a little straighter in the dugout. Like, you know what? You want to you shower your booze on me? It's fine which, as you and I both know, is absurd. The first three months of the year, he's manager of the year. The Yankees are on pace for 118 wins. Also, they have a bad August. It's fire, boom. It's just stupidity in the Bronx. But I don't think it was calculated. I think there's times that maybe he's careful with his words, and he wants to send a message to the media, but that wasn't. It just seems so impulsive. That, that's not something I could think you think in your head. Hey, if someone asks me this, I'm going to slam the desk. I'm like, no, I, I think he was genuine. I really do. While the Yankees slumped, uh, the Blue Jays kind of got away with one because they weren't playing particularly well either. Then they face off, and uh, for the first time, Randeep and I talked about this yesterday, for the first time in a while, uh, there seemed to be some animosity between these two teams. Like the Alec Manoa and Garrett Cole situation uh, flared, and the Jays, I think, were as equally frustrated with their own play as the Yankees have been through August. When, when you look at where the Jays are at right now, and we know that with Manoa and Gosman, if they head into a playoff series, they have to feel pretty good about where they're at, but the offense has been a little bit up and down. When you look at the Jays, what's your, what's your biggest concern with them as they try to keep pace with all these teams that are in the wildcard race? I think it's the starting pitching, Israel. The fact that Kikuchi, to me, is a bust. You're one of the three-year deal. The fact that Ryu is done. The fact that there's always what you can count on on Mitch White and you know, last trip is a nice job coming in, but Manoa is a top 10 pitcher in baseball and Gossman's great, but Barrios is way too inconsistent. His ERA is around five and it's been a year now since they traded for him. He got that $130 million contract. So when you have two and a half pitchers, that doesn't feel great to me, but that's why these last five games have really been impressed. The Jays starting pitchers have allowed just three earned runs in 30 innings of work. That's a .90 ERA. If you can get starting pitching like that, watch out. You know, they've won four of the last five games. They're also great against the Red Sox, and they're facing Boston tonight. Stripling's in line to start, probably Burrios Wednesday, probably Gossman Thursday. But they've taken 10 of 13 against the Red Sox. They've really been good against them. And as far as the offense is concerned, 
One of the issues for me that I worry about a little bit is George Springer and just his health because he's so effective. He's 10 for 15. He's hitting 667. Two doubles in five cases coming off the IL August 15th. But recently, he's had a knee injury. Played in just one of the team's last three games. He got a pinch and single there against the Yankees. First pitch, he got that base hit. So that's one of the concerns to me right now with the Jays. I look at their health and say, okay, I hope George Springer can stay healthy. Also, just a subplot to keep in mind tonight is Jackie Bradley Jr., First time facing the Red Sox, the organization that drafted him in 2011. He was reacquired by Boston for the Brewers in December, released in August, and now he's actually doing some playing time with the Blue Jays. So maybe Jackie Bradley Jr., to quote Shakespeare, revenge is a dish best served cold. Maybe he can <laughs> uh, fire up the, the Red Sox tonight. Well, we'll see about the Red Sox, though, because we were talking about them right before we brought you on. Like, we understand what this team is this year, but. Where is this team going beyond this year? You know, you got some question marks with Raphael Devers. You got question marks with Xander Bogarts. Uh, what are the Red Sox after this year? Yeah, it's really been mind numbing because you would have thought they'd be at least a 500 team and maybe push for a playoff spot, but they really have struggled in terms of any sort of consistency. And right now, there's six games ran deep on the third and final AL wildcard spot. To me, that's a deficit you can't make up. It, right now, that's occupied, by the way, by the Jays and the Mariners. And especially lately, we mentioned the, the Yankees in the month of August. The Red Sox are 15-27 and 27 since the start of play on July 5th. Like, they got off to a bad start, and then they were really good. They were 10 games over 500. They're 45-35 and 35 halfway through the season, 80 games in. They're on pace to win 90 games. But this last stretch, losing 10 of 17 games, I just don't think they have it. Their pitching has really been a mess. And here's the biggest shock to me. They've won just two series against AL East teams in 2022. That's crazy. One of those, by the way, was a one-game series of the Orioles. That doesn't count. Last time I checked, the series has to be more than one. And they took two or three against the Yankees back on August 12th, 14th. So the fact they've been so bad against their own division, to me, is just head-scratching. It's why the Ultimately, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're a sub-500 team. They're two games under. How wild is it to think, if I'd said to you guys in April, you could get four teams in the American League East that will make the playoffs, but the one team out would be the Red Sox. Right. You go, yeah, come on, sure. No, but it could be Yankees, Jays, Rays, and the Orioles, who I don't think get in, but I also didn't think they'd be two and a half games out of a wild card spot as we approach Labor Day. So who knows? I was watching Red Sox Orioles on Sunday night, and they were uh, they were playing in Williamsport, uh, and that's an event, Adnan, that I know that you've been around before, that you've covered before. Certainly here in BC, uh, we're pretty close to it because pretty much every year for the last fifteen, it's been a it's been a BC team that represents Canada at the Little League World Series. For the people that haven't been able to get out there or that are used to watching on television, what is it about the Little League World Series that that makes it such a special event? Well, you're right. First off, Israel was always a team from B.C. representing Canada. So I was always thrilled to see, you know, the pride of Gibbons, B.C., or wherever it was. And uh, when I would see Shulman there, because Dan would call the, um, obviously, the, the major league game on the Sunday. So I'd be there for like, it's like a two-week tournament. I'd be there for most of the second week. And as much as I enjoy it, I will admit that it's turning into Groundhog Day after a while, because there's, there's literally nothing else. Like one year I took my kids <laughs> at the end of the, end of the year. And, like, as far as stuff to do, there's, there's one thing to do. I, I can't remember the name now. I think it's called, like, it's not Clive Barrow, but it's close to that. Let's call it Clive Barrow's Reptile Museum. It's a reptile museum, and it's 15 minutes away from the hotel. And the hotel is, like, you know, a Super 8. It's literally two floors, and that's it. And so it's, you know, Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez, Aaron Boone, Alex Cora, me. And, like, you know, basically ESPN takes over the hotel. There's a movie theater, thankfully, five-minute walk away. 
So I remember one year going to like see Sausage Party, and I'm like, well, there's really nothing else to do here, so I'm going to go watch Sausage Party. And then I would go, and I'd generally working from, you know, 4 p.m. till 8 p.m., and I'd go back, and there's like, you know, the one Italian restaurant in town. We'd eat there and go to sleep. So the great news is this. There's not a whole lot around it, but the actual park is awesome. I remember a lot of these stadiums, like, oh, this is so cool. And all of us, I hope, played baseball as little kids, and obviously some were better than others. But the, the park itself is beautiful, and it's free. That was the biggest shock to me when I walked up. I go, hey, what's the attendance? I know I'm media, but what's the, they go, it's free. I'm like, really? Go, oh, yeah. You just walk right in. I'm like, this is awesome. It, it really has an old town feel of baseball to it. You know, just the burgers and dogs. I mean, you have to pay for that, by the way. Concessions you have to pay for. But actually, the ticket is great. And I obviously would do baseball plants in there. And I actually called some games. The memory I have, and David Ross, of course, manager of the Cubs, just texted me last week. So I still joked to him about it. He goes, hey, what did I actually say? And we were in the booth calling a game, and they said to us, hey, no matter what, make no references to alcohol or sports energy drinks. And they said, yeah, of course, no, no problem, I understand. And it was the first inning, and I, I want to say this for Randy, if the guy's name is David Chase, but only with David Chase. Let's say it was Scott Chase, but let's okay. call it David Chase. Yeah. It's like David Chase, and the first thing, and, and like what they would do as far as stats, because it doesn't have like his OBP or his war, but it would basically have his nickname, favorite movie, song. So the researcher would know for me particularly, okay, I'll always give Adnan the favorite movie. And it was always the same thing. It's always like whatever Kevin Hart movie was out or Dwayne Johnson movie was oh, out. Man. So I'm, I'm doing the bio. I'm doing the bio with David Chase stepping in. And I just said, okay, you know, his favorite movie is whatever. It wasn't The Rock, but let's say it's The Rock featuring The Rock. Um, obviously Connery. But let's just say it's, you know, whatever, The Rock, blah, blah, blah. He loves this. And his nickname is Chaser. I was obviously going to beat David Ross because, oh, put your egots after it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is a 12-year-old kid. What, you, what kind of a reference is this? Who knew years later that man would now be the manager of the Chicago Cubs? Amazing. But, um, it, it was always great. You have a hill that you go down. I'm sure you guys, uh, Alex Core actually sent me the video yesterday of him going down the hill. Basically, you just get a piece of cardboard. You know, in Canada, we do it all the time. I'm sure in B.C. you would do it, especially in the winter. We just yep, call it targeting. Yep. But, but there is just like a huge hill. And it's just like a muddy hill. So Cora actually texted me the video. He had like a backwards hat and glasses, and he's sliding face first in the cardboard. Tim Kirchin did it. It's really cool. But it's definitely a fun experience, man. It's in the middle of nowhere, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. But to bring it back to the Clyde Barrow reptile land, my favorite story is this. Dallas Braden is there for a week, and he's losing his mind, right? Like, it stays six. He's like, okay, there's only so much moving I can take. And by the way, I would always be supporting the teams from B.C., but inevitably we get knocked out. Canada always would face Japan. I'm like, we got no chance. So maybe, maybe the team from Gibbons, B.C. would win one game, but no matter what, Canada was not making it to the semifinals. So they get knocked out early. I'm like, okay, well, I have no interest in watching the other games. Let's find stuff to do in the day. Dallas goes to the Clyde Barrel Reptile Land. He hangs in a couple of hours. He's a snake, whatever. This is, I want to say, 2015. At the end, he goes to the guy, hey, can I get an Uber? And he goes, a what? And he goes, an Uber. And he goes, I don't know what that is. And I guess that was fairly the nascent area of Uber, which is fine. Okay, they have Uber at the time. So can I at least get a cab? And the guy goes, yeah, no problem. It'll be two hours. <laughs> that was good. I just spent two hours in Reptile Inn, and now you're asking me two hours for a cab. And the show was at, let's say, six, and at this point it was like four. So Dallas thought, you know, 10-minute Uber ride, I'll be there with plenty of time. Now he's legitimately worried. So he had to hitchhike, and I don't think anybody picked him up. So Dallas Braden, <laughs> former Oakland A's pitcher who once threw a perfect game, was like running <laughs> on a dirt road to get to the set outside because he didn't have Uber from Clyde Barrow's Reptile Lake. Okay, so moral of the story, if you ever go to Williamsport, uh, make sure that you always drive and you're not waiting yeah. for a cab. All right, I got to get your thoughts on this. We only have like 30 seconds, but you mentioned Sausage Party, so I got to ask you about oh, hot, hot Dog, dog Straw beer. beer Guy. Uh, thoughts on that, Adnan? I, I, need, I need them before you leave here. 
never been a video circulated more, I think, ever in the last 24 hours. And that's saying something. Think of how many videos we've seen involving beer or ice cream or some sort of confection people are eating. Just beyond disgusting. Like it, it just seems like a crash course. I can appreciate the value of everything, but those are just two things that should not mix together. He should be ashamed of himself, and hopefully he's going to get public scolding today on social media. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. It has led us to our uh, Confession Friday segment on a Tuesday. We want confessions from people on the bad pairings that they've made maybe with their food, but we'll leave you, that, <laughs> uh, leave you out of that one, Adnan. Thank you very much for joining us today. Randeep, Israel, it's a way of saying there are some confections that go well together, including dude soda. Yes. There you go. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much, man. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Thanks, boys. Be well. There he is. Perfect. Perfect branding opportunity as you're well. You're going to clip that, and that's not the last thing no, you're no, going to hear. Josh, could you please clip that and send it to my email? That's, that's Can you put it in the promotional Randeep folder? <laughs> yes. Unprovoked. I didn't ask for no. it. No. Adnan knows the brand. He's just a pro. The brand is growing, folks. Uh, yeah, hot dog, straw beer guy, Yankees <laughs> fan, which... Look, those are your people. I don't claim him. I don't know if the team claims him. I don't claim him. That was a... I don't know, but they beat Scherzer last night. So, if, okay, if you're the Yankees, do you invite him back and say, hey, the beer's on us, the hot dog's on us, do it again. Let's Yeah, let's keep... If it's a winning streak... Own it, right? The Yankees have had, uh, you know, some interesting... St- slump buster things that have been talked about in the past. And we're not even talking about Derek Jeter. We're, we're talking, not talking about Derek Jeter or Jason Giambi. We're talking gift about baskets. different situations. All right. That is going to be the inspiration for our Confession Friday on a Tuesday coming up next. Get those confessions in. They can be food related. They can be just a regular confession. They're never regular, but you know, it can be food related or not. Get those in. We're going to read them. We're going to come with our own as well. Izzy's got one. I've got one. And maybe even Josh has one. Coming up next on The People Show.